Well, uh, you know, last time, last week we had some 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 correction follow up. I have some correction follow up. It may seem minor, but I know it's important to some people. Uh, listen, know that Wales is not England. These are like <laughs> separate countries and things. Now, I'm an American, so I don't really like uh, profess to understand everything that's going on there. I know there's some videos that will explain it, but I don't. I don't want to miscategorize things. I apologize for uh, implying otherwise. Uh, and I'm going to go get, do some training, get some certificates, so I, I understand how to talk about these things properly. Because I, I, you know, makes sense. Geography. I always thought in, uh, it, I don't know about you, Brandon, but when I was in school, we had a class in elementary school, I don't know, called geography. And it just seemed, it was just like the most boring thing ever. Just like studying maps. And I mean, it, did, did you have a geography class? Yeah, I think everyone has to take geography. I mean, I feel like I feel like that is like you do you really spend 3 to 6 months just on maps? Like does geography imply like some culture and history of the countries? I don't know. Geography, when I hear geography, I think just literally like maps and continents, but not really like it seems like what you would want to do is have sort of like a world culture tour. This would be the the uh, was it international baccalaureate. This program? would be the IB yes. way of doing it. It's uh-huh. like we are not going to require you to memorize countries right. and continents. Instead, we are going to work on several projects that celebrate the cultures and various events that's happening. And sort of by accident, you'll have to learn the various countries I feel like and that's, continents. I don't uh, – so I have two thoughts here. Like one, I think I had a class called geography. I think it was in high school, but I can't remember if it was a year long or a semester or something like that. So I don't remember. So I definitely remember memorizing the maps, the states, the countries, um, various uh-huh. things like that. But I do think you're right. I, I don't, now that I'm a parent, I'm watching, you know, my son go through, it's like, so far they've been doing what you described. It's more, uh, they do, they seem to like talk about parts of the world or different countries. And then geography is just one of the many things that come out in that. So that seems, yeah. maybe that's the way we were, I don't remember any of the elementary school very well. So maybe that's what they also did, but yes, it definitely seems more interesting when it's kind of woven into other subjects. So I think the IB way of doing things, I, I'm in favor of that. Yeah. Well, you know what they say is the best education is the education you don't remember. So it, it must've uh, gone well. It became innate it's muscle memory. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I was going to say, I think I just forgot. I think I just don't really don't remember, but you know, maybe that's what, but you do like, I think, you know, like probably maybe that's a U.S. thing. You end up learning lots of, uh, random, uh, capitals and cities that for the most part yeah. are pretty much kind of useless to you. They're not, they're nothing. You don't really use You interact with it day to day. You're just like, Oh that, yeah, that's the capital of that state. It's good to know. I, I wonder, I wonder if that, is, I wonder, cause that seems like, I mean, we got 50 states and 50 cities you know, capitals. So that's a fun thing to memorize. And, you know, you got to learn how to spell Mississippi and all that. Whereas like, you know, our other, uh, you know, our weekly topic, Australia, they have like five states or something, right? Like, it seems like it's probably a lot like you'd memorize that. And then what are you going to do next? You got to come up like, I I bet every country has an absurd list of 40 to 60 things that as a kid, you're encouraged to memorize for fun, right? Like, you know, in the state, like, it's really like, you don't really need to memorize the U.S. states. Like, you'll sort of eventually get it. It's kind of like your social security number. 
Like, no one really needs to memorize their social security number. I don't know what they do nowadays. But back in our day, it would just be used as your identifier when you got to college. So you would just, like, memorize it after using it all the time. And similarly, like, I feel like if you're going to be around America stuff long enough, eventually you'll sort of, like, know the 50 states. And you're never really going to be in a situation where you're like, ooh, really need to know Wyoming. Like, I really need to know, like, all the states. Unless it's just, like, fun. And similarly, there must be other things in other countries. Like, maybe knowing that Wales is not England is one of these things. Maybe, like, <laughs> maybe like the Commonwealth people, for fun, can name all of the current Commonwealth nations and perhaps, you know, territories. And then maybe if you said 10 years ago, they could name the ones that were then. That, that might be a fun game. Okay. Uh, that, well, a couple of things here. One, uh, we'll get to it in listener follow-up. I'll just go ahead and uh, reference this now. Someone sent in a very, very funny uh, YouTube video of it's that Mitchell and Webb look discoverer. So they, it, it is a, a funny video of, I guess, you know, in this case, uh, we'll call them English and explorers uh, discovering different parts of the world and then giving it names. And of course, mm. uh, New South Wales is in there among others. And it oh, was, uh, incredibly well-timed because I, we had, uh, you know, just finished the episode and he sent this and it was, if it was, if like we had written it or something, it was just like, wow, this is very, very funny. So it's in the nonsense links. If you want to just, if you've been following along with how things got named and maybe how the names don't, don't apply to the places that were discovered. I think this video was fantastic. So, so check yes. that out. That's good. That's good. You know, you come to this podcast for the uh, uh, latest developments in uh, open source service mesh startup funding and also uh, a deep understanding of, uh, you know, 17th century uh, territory naming uh, colonization. Yeah, no, it was funny. Well, it resonated with the audience. At least at least a few people in the audience thought it was funny. I thought it was quite yeah. funny myself. I still I still am obsessed with with the uh, the the New South part of New South Wales. And then the fact that well, I'm just going to instruct everyone. They explain okay, it in the video. Okay. I'm I'm going right. I'm accepting the video as the absolute truth of like why it was named that way because I just think the way they say it was like perfect. All right, so okay, so we need to get let's get some other updates out of the way. Uh, how what, how's how's your water heater doing? Did it work? Water heater's great. Got to have it all installed. It's all working again. I've learned a lot about uh, tankless water heaters, and you know I feel like I'm I'm. You know, I don't know what it takes to become a plumber, but I definitely could help architect one. I could, you know, draw it out what I wanted now. I don't know if I could actually uh-huh. install it correctly, but uh, I'm full like uh, CTO PowerPoint level of water heater. And again, that's like the entire experience was humbling. And even now, even a, a week later, every warm shower is just a, it's a beautiful event for me. It's like, it's a it's, blessing. It really is a blessing. Well, you know, it, it, it gets, uh, it got really windy here today and we have an outdoor water heater, I guess. And so when it gets really windy, the hot water, I don't, I mean, I guess there's a pilot light. I, I don't know, but like. There is, that's true. For gas, you have to make sure that's running, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, but then it lights itself again, which is totally foreign Correct. to me. Because what yep. happens is, which is just like amazing. Like yeah. I grew up with the hot water heaters where like, you know, if your pilot light went off, it was Done. time for like brain surgery yep. or something. But Anyways, it gets when it gets really windy here. Like if you you might remember from uh, last year, the year before last, our trampoline blew over the fence twice. It was it was so uh, windy, but uh, uh, it was windy. Hot water heater light pilot light blows out. Now this you don't want this to happen when you're in the middle of a shower. Uh, it's not so you know. But luckily, I could tell that it was getting cold, so I just rapidly finished the shower. 
and uh, and got out. But yeah, the cold cold shower is no good. But okay, so I was thinking because of that, I was thinking about this now. Now, do, do you can you put the outside water heater in the garage so it doesn't freeze next time? Like, what is the story? Here? Well, you could. I mean, but like all technology, it's a full that's a full blown rearchitecture. Right? Because the so, problem is all the pipes and everything. Yeah. So you okay, know, for okay. for those that are still following, which is probably no one, but like if you have a gas <laughs> tankless water heater, right? The advantage of it being outside is you don't have to worry about ventilation as long as it's in outside. In a okay. well-ventilated area, you kind of save all that. It's, it's. I think most people would say that in practice, that is safer, right? Because you don't accidentally uh-huh. Uh-huh. run the gas and you know, do some type of CO2. So, so that's why I think here in Texas, I think in this neighborhood I live in, I think a lot of the homes were designed with the water heater outside because that's sort of like saves. It's a whole other thing you have to worry about. So yes. that's where all your hookups are, where both your water comes into the house as well as uh-huh. where your gas uh-huh. hookups are and all that. So, yeah. So of course, though, as we've recounted on this podcast before, like if it's going to be out for three days and it's in you know sub freezing temperatures, you either have to be really on your game to drain the water, the tankless water heater quickly, right before like knowing that it could freeze, um, or you have to have if it has uh, electricity, it will just heat itself right for that period of time. So, so yeah, but I do think it's one of these uh, you know tankless water heater in theory. Right. It, it's uh, a better for the environment right? it's more environmentally friendly in practice. You're like, I don't know. It's it, you know the old school, just a big tank yeah. of water heated all the time. Like that seemed to work out better. Like this is again, it's like the mainframe, the mainframe. Came, you know what? If the in this scenario, maybe <laughs> the tankless water heater is the cloud native uh, micro service architecture that is often good, but in certain situations is bad. And the tankless tub water heater is the mainframe and it just always works like you can't mm. you can't break yeah, it. Yeah. You can't even it just can't be broken. And if it, and if it breaks, it's like there's parts everywhere for that. It's like, oh. You just need a big tub and something to heat it. We have all of that all the time. So th- this reminds me of a topic that's actually related to computers instead of the inane stuff I've been talking about so far. And that is I was talking with, with someone, some people yes, yeah, yesterday, and we were talking about like, you know, the, the comparing the era of app servers and SOAs to uh, whatever we have now. We should probably just call it the era of Kubernetes instead of cloud native. And and this one of the people brought up the idea that, you know, they brought up EJBs and how it was going to handle, you know, transactions for you and so forth and so on. And it was making me realize, not realize, but I was thinking, you know, as with all, when I use the word theories, I don't mean it as like a, a universal sort of statement. It's just kind of like a fun thought exercise. So, so, so get a load of this. Tell me, tell me what you think of this. I think that our previous era of big app servers and SOA stuff, it became it, it uh, became being all about, that's a weird English sentence. It was all about like the transaction, like everything that was important and everything kind of was beholden to like doing transactions, like multi-phase commit. And that's kind of where all the stuff collapsed down to, right? Like why you would uh, worry about things and, you know, SOA stuff tried to worry about data interchange at some point and, but eventually, everything just bottles down to like we got to do our uh, multi-phase commit and do transactions because we're doing e-commerce and business. Whereas nowadays, like, I don't think I've heard anyone say the word transaction for like ten years, except when they're talking about how do you do a transaction. Like, it's not really like something that comes up, and maybe that means the problem has been like solved, and no one worries about it anymore. But like, I feel like the whole industry used to be obsessed with transactions, 
Like we used to talk about it all the time. It's but a good nowadays, question. like why is that faded? I don't know. It does. It seems like maybe the transactions have gotten smaller, and that's not the bottleneck. You're right, though. But it doesn't does not seem to come up nearly as much as it once did. I don't know. Huh. Well, there you go. Transactionless. That's the that's the new uh, lambda uh, going on there. I think I think that's that's something we need to ponder on. Maybe for next time, I have a little workshop. The uh, the the mysterious disappearing transaction. But I'll tell you what, uh, that I keep having a credit card bill, so someone's got transactions. This episode is brought to you by Strong DM. Managing access to infrastructure is hard. Databases, servers, web apps. Kubernetes clusters, and they all have different ways of managing access. Meet StrongDM. It's a proxy to manage access to all infrastructure. Need to give the marketing team access to BigQuery and GCP? Done. Does an engineer need access to customer-hosted Windows servers? No problem. DevOps needs to open up an interactive shell on EKS? So easy. And it just works. Admins, you can easily extend your identity provider to infrastructure, automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles using Terraform or the API. And your end users love it because there's zero change to workflow. StrongDM is trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi to manage access. Start your free 14-day trial today with no credit card required at strongdm.com slash sdt that's strongdm.com slash sdt and of course we thank strong dm for sponsoring our show well i think i think uh you know roundabout we should call this the one year anniversary of uh, everyone works at home i think i think it's uh, it's coming up here now now something that hopefully uh won't plague her for all of her life this is also going to be my daughter's one-year birthday, or anniversary, if you will, uh, at the end of the month, sadly coinciding. But uh, I, it's it's been like a year now, Brandon, that I, I don't think, I think the last trip that I took for work was at the beginning of February of last year. What was it for? I think it was up to London for something. I forget what I was doing up there. I think it was speaking at a conference, or I have no idea. But boy, so how's it been going this past year? Well, I don't know. To me, I, I've uh, wasn't as big a change for a lot uh, for me for a lot of people like yourself. Probably already already was working from home, so that wasn't a big change. And I, I guess the part I've been thinking about mostly is is um, at least here in the U.S. There's a lot of optimism. There are a lot of people getting vaccines. Mm. You, can, you know, know people now that are getting vaccines. It's happening quite a bit here in Austin. So it does feel like we're on the right path. And so I was kind of thinking to myself, it's like, you know, what, what does it look like going forward? And I, and I think, you know, the thing I was going to throw out is it, it does feel like I'm going to say like the fall conference season, you know, it feels like that is maybe going to be um, kind of like coinciding with back to school, you know, September. Mm-hmm. I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to be like kind of the first big test, like which conferences kind of announced they're going um, back to in person. And I think, you know, for once, I think, you know, uh, at least I've always thought, like, sometimes you don't want to go to a conference, you travel a lot, it feels kind of mundane, but it feels like, wow, just much like everyone wants to go on vacation now, it feels like everyone will be ready to, like, in uh, force to hit the conference circuit next uh, next fall. So, I don't know, what do you, what's your take? Are you, have you 
heard anything? Have you heard of a conference that you're actually like, yeah, we're going to make it to uh, a specific one in the fall, or is it still all be to be decided in your world? Yeah, you know, I I haven't seen anything definitively in person. I think maybe the thing I think Devox Poland is like we'll see what happens. Like, there's a couple of those Devox conferences. I think there might they're mostly in Europe, but there's a couple of them that are like a little up in the air about it. But yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't seem like uh, you know I I haven't tracked the as they as, as I think you would call it rollout of like uh vaccine stuff over here in Europe but like uh i i it seems to be slow like <laughs> <laughs> not happening well yeah, do you, yeah. i mean do you personally know have you like gotten a notification or like do you know no, people no, are getting no. vaccinated I, I think, anything like that i think i think i'm i'm like low on the list of things i mean i think there's there's a there's a million i should know these things but i'm thinking there's at least a million if not more in in the netherlands of people who who've done something but you know it's working back not backwards it's working through the uh different categories but yeah i have no idea when that would be and i don't really hear much from other people i know my my mom got something and my yeah. stepdad well, here, so that's nice in this area and i don't know maybe other places in the u.s i guess everyone's doing it. like they're big drive-through areas so you can kind of see them like you can actually see yeah. like uh and you know it's just at this point a lot of people are just getting it at the uh like you just drive up like a drive-through drive-through get your vaccination and then and they're also Makes making sense. their way to uh you know american uh drugstores like cvs you can just go in there like getting a flu shot so so i don't know i mean it's it's made me feel optimistic and that's why i think i, I don't know lately i felt like yeah so maybe the fall um we'll see a bunch of um conferences and then of course you know the other part of this i guess is like the staying power of the work from home like i think right now it seems like if you're if it's if you're buying stock right i mean everybody is uh basically announced some type of like permanent work from home remote work policy. I've, I feel like it's difficult to find a company that um, the only one I think I've seen was Netflix. Netflix, I think Reed Hastings like definitively said, yeah, when we can have people back in the office, we will. So I don't I think that's like the only place where I've really seen it. So my feeling though is this stuff just ebbs and flows, right? It's that right now it's, you know, remote work is the wave of the future. No one will have an office, but I feel like, you know, a year and a half from now, um, you'll start to hear like, you know, we think we need to have people back in the office for whatever reason, you know? So, um, yeah. so I feel like yeah. it won't, I think the lasting effects are not going to be as profound as maybe we're predicting right now is my guess. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like, I like, I like your, your, uh, your prediction on the working from home thing. Cause I think, you know, we've seen this, we, we've been around for a while and it does just, go back and forth, right? Like at one point, IBM thinks it's great for everyone to work at home and their offices are a ghost town. And then another point, you're fired if you don't come into the office. Like it just uh, ping pongs back and forth. And it, it's, it is a little... Do, do, do people still spend all day on Zoom meetings? How, how did that end up happening? I heard someone talk about that. I mean, this is my like fancy lad position where I don't have to do that. But I heard someone talking about that again recently and I was thinking, like, like how is it that everyone ended up having so meeting so many meetings? Like, did they have all those meetings when they were in person, or was someone just like proactively scheduling more meetings when everyone was remote? It just seemed like there was this weird meeting inflation that that people were uh, freaking out about. 
Well, I think I think a lot of the meeting talk is always come back to like this is really dependent on your specific job, right? Like, right, you know, right. obviously, if you're, you know, developer or you like really work independently most of the time, then maybe you did experience some meeting inflation. I, I feel like if anything, it's been a little bit more efficient, right? Because there is no office; everybody is a hundred percent virtual. So you don't like other places I've worked. You know, you always have the like partial. Uh, you kind of have the like the worst of all worlds, like, you know, some people are remote, but some people are all in the same meeting room. Right. And then it's like very, you know, it's hard to participate. So yeah, yeah. the fact that like this has just made it like, well, all the meetings are everyone's on an equal playing field. Everyone's virtual. I think that's actually been a little bit better. I think that's also allowed these meetings to be a little bit shorter. Like it seems like you can get like a 30 minute meeting can be very efficient if everyone just like clicks, gets in the meeting you kind of like quickly do this, the chit chat, small talk, and then you get onto your subject and, and get out. Right. And it's also very easy to just get out versus like everyone assembling in a conference room, you know, getting the yeah. projector set up. So, but like, that's a job, but my job has always been, or like more recently, right. It's like, it is a job about like meeting with people, meeting with customers, meeting with development teams, like kind of getting, you know, it's like, it's more, you know, the act of work just involves a lot more meetings for myself versus like other people who are like, yeah, yeah, I can just do everything independently and I don't need to meet. And it's like, well, that's yeah, good for yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, that's just not the way, uh, you know, that's not yeah. what I'm, I'm required to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just curious, like, like if it implies like, okay, so if, if, if you're in the case where everyone was, was working in person, right. And mm-hmm. you had, let's just go crazy. You had like three meetings a day. Right, which which would be normal for some things and crazy for others. But you have three meetings a day, and uh, and and you get you know fifty units of work done. Not not just you getting the work done, but you you move fifty units of value through the company or whatever through all that work. And then everyone's working remotely, right? And then for some reason you end up having six meetings a day, and you get fifty u- units of work value through, right? Now that would imply maybe that would imply that like outside of those three meetings you are actually doing stuff that required you to work with other people. And so in order to maintain that 50 units of work when everyone was remote they had to add in all these extra meetings to make sure they were collaborating with other people, right? Like you see it's sort of like you were doing you were doing 50 units with three meeting with without having being in Zoom all day. And now everyone's remote and all of a sudden they have to be in Zoom all day. So it's sort of like what, what like, what changes such that you have to uh, be in Zoom all day long? Which, you know, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't. It's just I'm curious. I'm always curious, like, why that happened. If like the same amount, if not less, work was being done. My guess, though, is I think that I think probably the people who are in Zoom all day were in a lot of meetings before as well. I don't think my guess yeah. is like it hasn't. Like if you were not in a lot of meetings and then suddenly this. I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear. Maybe, you know, some listeners can give us some feedback, but it doesn't seem like suddenly, uh, if anything, maybe you would almost, you know, sort of like be left alone, right? Because you kind of eliminate the, like the walking by your desk kind of thing, right? It's like, well, if yes. you're in a lot of meetings and, you know, you got a lot of interruptions, then now you're working at home. It's a lot, you know, I guess it's Slack, right? Slack or chat interruptions, but those can be, you know, pretty easily curtailed if you want to just turn it off. So, um, but I think, you know, the whole meeting thing is just always interesting. Like people, I think it's an easy trope. Like people, you know, complain all the time, but like, yeah, if you're like meeting with customers a lot and like, you're trying to like 
sell your products and get feedback and talk to people. Like, I mean, it's like part, I mean, that's the job, right? Like, or if you're a dev evangelist and you're like, you know what I mean? If you're not interacting with people in some way, I mean, you can obviously be creating content, but like, it's just a big part of it is like that yeah, interaction. Yeah, yeah. That is the job. Right. So, um, I don't know. So maybe, sort of, maybe that's, maybe that's another thing is the ease of which it, the ease, it's a lot easier to have a meeting. One, you don't have to book a conference room, yep. which is always a hassle. So it's a lot e- when it's a lot easier to have meetings, you end up having more meetings, right? And, and uh, especially if you're in a uh, field-facing thing where, like, normally, like, a salesperson can have, like, I mean, they'd have, like, a field-facing person could have, like, two meetings a day, like, maybe three if they, like, are crazy and they're all in the same building. Right now you could have phone calls, but if you're online the whole time, you could have lots of meetings like yeah. with external people, right? Like it's a lot easier. So you can actually, uh, it's like a kind of like a Jevons paradox of meetings, right? The more efficient it is to have meetings, the more meetings you'll have, which would suggest, was it the, uh, the, the, the Luddites or the monkey wrench people would suggest that as an individual contributor, you should try to make having meetings as inefficient as possible. <laughs> they should be as difficult as possible because the easier it is to have a meeting, the more meetings you're going to end up having, right. which is not what you want. So, uh, but so let me ask you this, Cote, kind of a separate subject. So of the things, is there anything from this pandemic lifestyle that you want to continue on that has been like, oh, you thanks want, for bringing us that back. you want yes. to carry over into the future? You're like, I really like, obviously I think it's very easy to identify the stuff we don't like. It's like, Hey, it's too yeah, much yeah, time yeah, at yeah. home. It's too much time by yourself or with yeah, just you your that. family, uh-huh. you know, yeah. uh, what would you like to see, uh, uh, continue on? Uh, I think nothing. <laughs> Nothing, nothing at all. I, 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 I don't, I don't like any of the, uh, you know, aside from the actual thing itself, right? Like that's, yeah. that's, you know, and, and of course you want and, that uh, to end, right? Of course. But, yeah. but the, 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 I think the effects that it has on work, uh, I don't enjoy any of them. All right. What about um, now, Matt Ray? Now, I, what from I, the, the pandemic environment life, is there any positive thing that has changed in your world that you would like to continue on? uh post pandemic uh well definitely it seems like um workplaces you know employers are more open to people working from home i think uh as somebody who's been working remote for about 14 years that's cool mm-hmm. uh but uh it also gave uh, australian internet providers a small kick in the pants to up the game a bit yeah really? so uh that that was helpful Mm-hmm. Um, what about this one? Let me throw this one out. I want to get your reactions. What about kind of like, like, I don't know, the acceptance of more informality, like the fact that like, okay, yeah. Oh, people have kids at home. People have dogs. There will be the occasional, yeah. uh, family or life interruption. Whereas I think before it was <laughs> like, your people were trying to like pretend those things didn't exist or you'd like, Oh, I got to mute myself. But now it's just like, Oh, it's fine. You didn't shower. You didn't brush your hair. You didn't like, I don't know. There's just sort of this smell me over the internet. Yeah. yeah, it's just like acceptance of yeah, like it's yeah. okay. Everyone has stuff going on. I don't expect uh, your house to be like a perfect audio studio, and it's okay if I hear your dog. Like I think, I don't know that tolerance levels. I think are a little bit uh, higher I think you're right. to that kind of stuff That's, now. That that is a good adjusting, and you know, I I think I, I've said before I see this a lot because I I have a lot of these uh, executive roundtable things with no roundtable and. Everyone on there is very informal, whereas if we were in person, they would be, you know, wearing clean clothes at least. 
and so it is uh that that part is nice i mean i I guess yeah yeah that part is nice now now this this reminds me of another thing that comes up that's relevant that that i was curious to to talk about and that is i was reading the uh the stack overflow developer survey for for the book i'm finishing up just to find developer priorities in 2020 and of course it's uh it's one of those um you know what, what, what's the joke I have knocked over bar charts that's on its side going like this? And I was thinking, like, it'd be great to get the last five years of that and animate it to see how developer priorities, you know, like what they look for in a job and things like that. And one of the one of the top ones was like flexible work schedule. And I've been thinking about that a lot because the thing I was trying to write was that, like, uh, you know, non-monetary incentives and motivations you can give to people. One of them being like, you know, uh I would say working less, but you could also say not working overtime, right? Like that's an incentive you can give people for changing is if we do things in this new way, you don't have to work more than you're paid for. <laughs> Wait, just stop. You don't have to work. <laughs> hey, hey, hold up, guy in Australia. Work is punishment. Yeah. But uh, anyways, but but this flexible thing like stuck in my craw for a little bit. and And I feel like, so, okay. It is good to have flexible work. I, I know that for sure in, in this, this area. But I, I feel like the flexible notion can also be abused to make it so I have to work at like 8 p.m. at night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, and you, like, you constantly see, see people railing on unlimited PTO. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, like I don't. The exact same reason. It's like I don't necessarily want flexible working hours. I just want less working hours, and I definitely, I definitely don't want Maybe working you want hours. Better working hours, like, oh, like that, more efficient go. working hours. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. killing things like a commute. Like, I don't think I can. I mean, I haven't been really commuting in a long time, and it just the thought of driving, you know, somewhere for an hour, you know, back and forth for an hour or so a day is just that's like soul killing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I like, the part I do like, and you know, I'm kind of the flexible is like um, the acknowledgement, and again, kind of back to this, if you're working from home, or is is sort of like you're not necessarily tied to the structure of like the eight to five, whatever the classical work hours are in your part of the world. But it's like, because I do like, I've always thought like, well, like, hey, maybe you're just sort of like, you know, like at two o'clock, you're just, you know, you're just kind of like not doing anything. You're kind of just burnt out for that moment or that day. And like, you go, I don't know, whatever you want to do, go pick up your children, like go work out, take, and then it's like, like I find myself kind of almost like working in three chunks through the day versus like uh-huh. just, I mean, I guess the classic is like, you know, morning, lunch, and then afternoon. But I kind of feel like, oh, like I'll kind of like take uh like, you know, I'll, I'll take like a shorter afternoon work stint, but then I'll kind of do some stuff with the family, eat dinner, like hang out, or even just kind of just chill, like not even do something productive. Right. And then like I kind of sometimes like like do a little flurry before I go to bed, kind of like, and that seems like I don't know, just like having the ability to like kind of like mold the work hours to like what like your natural rhythm is, right? So like I'm saying like yeah, I kind of like three yeah. chunks, three smaller chunks. Then it's almost like dieting or something. Like, do you want to eat one big meal a day and not, nothing else, or do you want to spread your meals out? It's like I like that. That has been um, that's always I've always felt like. You know, just to, you have to pretend it's like, well, I have to get, get all my work done between eight and five and I have to be 100 percent motivated during that time. And then 501, I can, you know, have zero motivation and then it has to like reappear at 8 a.m. or whenever the next day. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's always been kind of a strange feeling to me. Yeah. You know, OK. OK. That makes sense. I guess I guess my yeah, my reaction to flexible work stuff is like is the problem is 
that it's always hard for me to say no to things. So if people ask me, and by people, I mean people in my family. If people in my family ask me to do something, like, I'll do it. Whereas, like, if I had inflexible work, I could just blame work for why I can't oh, yeah. do it. But then, then because, I, because I have flexible work and I, like, say yes to doing things, then it's, like, either I get stressed out because I don't do enough work or I got to, like, work more. You know what I mean? Like, so it is, like, I guess what I'm saying is I like structure. I, li- I like a lot of, like, <laughs> I, I either I like one of two things. I either like structure or you don't have to do it. Which I guess is a type of structure. Yeah. Well, I think that's the flip side of what I was saying. I think a lot of people do like there is uh, something nice when you like just the just the idea like kind of who Matt was saying the the positive of a commute. Let's say your commute short is that like there is a a clear delineation of like you've left your office, you've driven home, right? There's like a transition period. Like it is now like you may work, but you kind of know that the workday is over for you, right? At least it should be. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so that I think a lot of people that when they don't have that structure. You know, this is where you're just it's like, well, I just work until I'm, I'm done. And then, you know, I, I never stop. Until I fall it, over. Yeah, it can be very confusing or there's no there's no marker in your day to kind of let you know that. I think anyone that has gone through the pandemic, maybe single and like like literally like not living with any significant other or family or anything like I could see where that would be an incredible challenge. Like you're spending so much time alone. If you were like, depending on your quarantine and what you did, it, it would, you could see, like, I, I was telling my wife, it's like, gosh, I can't imagine being completely single, like no children, no girlfriend, nothing during this entire period of time. Right. That for a year it would be like, that seems almost like the most difficult, you know, it's, it's like almost a form of solitary confinement. Like you, you'd almost have to yeah. just find like a quarantine roommate and be like, or something like come over, like we need just to hang out more or something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, I have one last one last thing on this topic of of, uh, of white collar work, and this is great. It's it's our it's our uh, you know what is it biannual twice a year culture of work conversation. <laughs> I think we should we should uh, christen that. And Done. and that is so. This is like I've never actually thought about this out loud, but I feel like there are some unspoken norms and policies about like. Kid, if you've got kid, if a worker has kids, about school drop off and pickup, that are never really written down anywhere, and and I don't quite know what they are, but I think basically, if if you have kids, you're allowed to like drop them off at school and pick them up, and and your work can't get upset about it, <laughs> and and like it's this, it's almost like, you know. I have kids, so I feel like I can make wacky comparisons like this. It's almost like, you know how people used to be like, oh, if you smoke, that means you get all these smoker breaks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's this thing that you have that, like, buys you some extra time. But also because it's never really, like, stated and made official, for someone to like structure like me, it's very stressful. Because on the one hand, it's like, you know, the kids get out of school at 3.30, so you got to, like, go pick them up, right? Like, it's just, that's what's got to happen. Uh, but but then on the other hand, it's also like, well, also I gotta I gotta work, I, and so it's just like there's never any. Uh, but is it? I, I think I, I think the kids I, part you're hitting on there, right? Is just sort of like the I think that what economics term is like externality. It's like, hey, listen, this is something that like, I mean, I guess kids aren't an externality. That sounds bad, but I'm just saying like once you are, once you are uh, a parent, like you have to pick like the kids have to be picked up. So it's just like it becomes like to me, it's less about like feeling guilty or anything else. It's like, listen. I have to do this. I have to pick them up. You know, I have to work around that. It's non-negotiable. Like I can't just not do it. Like if, and you, I mean, literally to the point of like, 
either we, you know, either you, the employer, like make that work for me or I have to do something different. Like, you know what I mean? There isn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. this isn't like, uh, I, I really enjoy working out at three thirty every day and, you know, I just, you know, and, you know, cause that's perceived as a choice. Right. So, um, so I well, think that's why the kid things, you know, like to your point, like, is it, uh, I don't know. It's, and also too, I think mo- anyone that's a parent knows that like, well, picking up the kids is not like, that isn't that that's something that takes effort from you. Right. That isn't something yeah. that is necessarily like fun all the time. Like, you know, you're like, that's uh, something that you have to do as, as a responsibility. Go ahead, Matt. And, and, you know, having worked at uh, a place that was, you know, fairly remote friendly because everyone was remote, like people just get used to blacking out their calendars and actually looking at calendars. That's, that's the worst when people don't even bother looking at their calendar. They just, you know, throw, mm. a, you know, they throw their meetings on top of like blocked out spots and, you know, you're just like, no, you don't even have to like explain away. It's just like, you didn't look, it says no. Right. But on the other hand, like, because I'm in Australia, uh, you know, when people in the U S or even Europe, for God's sake, uh, try to send me a meeting, I'll think hard about it, you know, depending on who it is. <laughs> Cause I'll be like, yeah, I'll talk to you at 10 PM. I won't talk to you at 10 PM. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. 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 I, you know, I think, I think, uh, maybe, maybe like another, another lasting thing, in in the spirit of what Brandon was bringing up is like I I feel like people are a lot more comfortable with like video than they used to be, like like uh, everyone's always got their video turned on on all the calls that I'm on, which is not always the case in the past, for better or worse. Well, that was our thrilling biannual <laughs> That's right. the culture of work. Well, I think we need to say this: we're all we're all excited about the pandemic hopefully ending, and hopefully that yeah. it actually everyone gets uh, the appropriate vaccination and. Next so, year at this time, we can all complain about like, oh, travel. Yeah. I've just been traveling too much. I, I you know, I, I, I had, I had the opportunity to uh, review to refresh myself on the uh, the expensing policy for travel and other things Ooh. recently, and so I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I feel like yeah. I just got. I feel like I went through spring training for work travel. Yeah, <laughs> just, just this morning, my ten year old was like, you know, I, I really miss airports. <laughs> yeah and i was like why he's like oh you know because we could go to the lounge i was like i don't know if i have that status anymore he's like you should start traveling again i know (laughs) i i i haven't i i i think maybe like six months ago i just stopped paying attention to like what the uh i should log into good old kln i i I, yeah i unsubscribed to some of the notifications from some of the travel things, just because I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe, maybe this year. Well, I think, uh, I don't know. I forget what we called in our predictions episode. I guess I could go back and look at it. Uh, boy, it's terrible when you have to go back and listen to shows. Uh, I mean, (laughs) especially for you, Brandon, you edit all the shows now. And if you had to go back and listen to them again, ugh. So much. So no, much, I think they'd uh, be great. I listen to the back catalog all the time. Everyone else should yeah. too. Everyone go download the entire back catalog. Well, uh, that's what I want. That's true. Yeah, I, I, I could maybe I could maybe handle getting like a, a a transcription and speed reading it, but I don't think I could listen. I will to say it. Oh, yeah, we got that, a piece of feedback this week. I don't remember yeah. exactly what it was, but someone wrote in and said <laughs> they were listening to episode 69 and i was like i my, right, like, my initial thought was like why would you do that that is crazy yeah, me too. so yeah. so i mean it was like i don't know how many years ago but i was like yeah and uh because i mean because they of course they just heard it so they 
the, this is why I can't even remember what it was about. But they were asking a question or making a reference. And this is, I don't know, it was like two or three years ago at least. And so, so yeah, it's good to well, know. We're probably um, talking about Kubernetes. <laughs> probably. But it's good to know that uh, <laughs> there's about a thousand up downloads a week just out of the back catalog. So I'm always impressed. I always appreciate it. I'm always like, great, yeah. great. People are enjoying it. So keep doing it, well, people. I think if it's that old, that's probably when we talked about the release of Ruby on Rails. If, hey, it could uh, be anything. <laughs> it could be anything. Now, how about how about we get a transcript, Matt Ray, and we have oh. a computer voice read it really fast, like one of the old Mac classic computer voices. Ooh, remember Hockey those? Moose. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember that one. We should find oh, that. That would be great. It was a, like a Mac SE program that it was one of the first like text-to-speech ones. Ooh. And... Uh, Dr. You, could, you could program it, and it had a little animated moose that talked. It was the best. I remember seeing that. I had a really good idea. I was in an interactive media class in sixth grade, and all, <laughs> all that we did is we had a laser displayer hooked up to HyperCard, and we yeah. would make little things that would play like bits of the laser displayer. And, man, I had a great idea for something the other day that I totally forgot that was much better than the bullshit biome stuff that I did. Uh, in that instead but you know you could do a total a game huh anyways like uh it was basically like that's what dragon's layer was right like a big laser displayer oh yeah yeah and, and you would just kind of move around and it would play different parts of it well what i was gonna say is i think i i don't know uh what are we here we're in month number three i think what we sh- we should change our predictions i'm gonna change my prediction until i change it again that 2021 that's the year right 2021 i had to check with my wife on that earlier today that 2021 is it's the year of security that's that's it's just all it's just going to be security everywhere it's going to be the uh it shows up everywhere you got your DevSecOps, you got your you got your uh that big doberman pincher on their series e boy that yeah. like Snick. you got those you got Snake. you got you got security problems you got interns yeah, nice running work. around oh, just like geez. It's just, it's all going to be security. That's all we're going to yep. hear for the rest yeah. of, it's going to be a security transformation up and down. And, and, now, and luckily, luckily, not only is the, the, you know, the VC community keeping their side of the bargain, the black hats, or as, uh, as the register will now let us call them criminals are uh, keeping <laughs> <that's> their <right. laughs> side, <laughs> keeping their side of the story. So, uh, yeah, so I way think to go just, criminals. We should just sit on the two that, I mean, there's a bunch of uh, fundraising, but Aqua security reaches unicorn status with 135 million late stage funding. And then, uh, wow. as uh, Matt Ray, you're just referencing there. Is it, gosh, I don't even know. Now I'm confused on how to say it. I thought it was S Y N K snick. I think it's pronounced sneak sneak, right? Sneak. Uh, you know, they've just raised uh, a bunch of money as well. So I, I don't know. I think I maybe just take a, a slightly different take on that is like, I think the year of funding more and more security companies and solution is here. I don't know. I still think kind of going back to our DevSecOps episode on a few, a few episodes back, it's like, I still don't think people know where security needs to slot into this overall process. And I think that's what all this money kind of flowing in is like, we know it's a huge problem. We know it's more yeah. important than ever, but we're just not sure like well, how to do it right. And you're going to see like a but, bunch of people yeah. try stuff. But 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 the key is the key is as a seller, like someone trying to sell software, especially to like operations and and you know those little sorts of folks, they never have budget. But you know who always has money because they always have problems is banana stand. You know, sec- <laughs> well, yes, they definitely the banana stand, but security people like Make sure there's a security angle to whatever product you're selling 
and you will be golden because those people can always find budget because there's always some some fire to put out. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think that's that's the you know the thing I'm always wanting to know when there's a new wave of security stuff coming up is what is what you were alluding to, Brandon. Is like, you know, to, so you're telling me it wasn't secure before, right? Like, like what what is the new thing going on here that requires it's us to more uh, secure? Yes, more secure. You, you can yeah. never look back. It's always we're going to be more secure. Security yeah. is approaching is is asymptotical or whatever. It's approaching one hundred percent always. It has it has zenithitis. Is that is that what it is? A zenith is the top of something, right? Not just a defunct TV brand. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, but, there's a long tail of failure there. I do think there's like <laughs> some distinctions here around like I think where we are today, and I understand it, and I'm certainly participated in it is. We have an overwhelming set of tools and things that people want to sell towards security. And and we have the willingness for corporations to spend, many corporations, I should say, spend money on security solutions. What all of this questions that was like, are we actually any more secure with all of this stuff coming in? And I think that's probably, if we were to step back, we'd say this is, we're still kind of in the infancy here of like, we don't really know how to mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. incorporate all of this in. Like, so if you go back in time, I think we, there was, a, you know, kind of going back, playing a little bit of the DevOps, DevSecOps conversation we had is like, go back maybe 2000, and we're sort of like, hey, we, we, we can't do releases right or missing too many product roadmap milestones. And that's sort of like the rise of Agile. And then of course, there's just a lot of outages because software has bugs in it that aren't related to security. They're just because of poor, poor quality of software. And that's sort of like where DevOps starts to come from and like people operating at scale. And like, I think those concepts, even if we think they're frustrating that we talk about them, like well-established, we can look to a lot of real benefits. But then now we're kind of like in this phase of like, well, we, we can generally you know, produce the software that we're looking to on time. We can generally make it run correctly and do what it's supposed to do, but we're really struggling now with securing it all because we kind of have this data everywhere and we have a lot of different holes in our systems. And I think this is where we sit now is the next kind of wave. It's like, how, what's the movement, the philosophy, the set of products that truly kind of like take this forward? And then can, we get a, can we get away from all of these like point products that just sort of maybe solve a, a small little pro- problem, but don't, address the big thing. And I think that's what all this VC money is going to go try to solve. They're just going to fund everything. And, you know, hopefully somebody hits on a method that really delivers on the promise of making us more secure, but it's easier said than done. I don't throw any stones here. It's not like, Oh, give me a hundred million dollars. I have it figured out. It's like, it's going to take a lot of experimentation. So, so let, let's, let's start with that. That's good. Cause I think that's what I'm always uh, uh, trying to get a handle on is, is how would you describe <clears throat> being charitable with the vagueness of my question here? How would how would you describe the current like model of security? Right? Like like what is and and to to I I I feel like the model of um let's say early 2000 security is install antivirus. Right? Yeah. Like that's that's sort of yeah. like the predominant thing. And but nowadays, and and I like because people used to talk about like some sort of fancy thing of like you could uh, detect threats or ADTs or there's some fancy term that they were always using, but like I've kind of lost track of like other than like don't have a shitty password like what is the current like 
theory and model of of security and i sure hope it's not like some extended lecture on how it's actually about risk management but like actual like <laughs> like technology okay. and stuff do, do, that you do yeah do, do you want do you want the real answer or the the you know the aspirational answer right the real answer oh, is it's yeah. always cya it's always cover your ass right you that's, that's you, good you need to be able to have plausible deniability that you were at risk when something does happen to you. So Which that, that is so, not so, saying you're taking like a, you know, you're only being proactive enough to make sure that you can't be totally blamed. So, okay. So if we, I've been listening to a lot of Susan Sontag, so I'm, I'm prepared for this. I, we're going to, we're going to pull this apart. I, I read that early on people like were, were when she was younger, were really upset with her because she just like could not appreciate a piece of art for itself. She had to like pull it apart and unravel it, which is fine. Uh, so, so what we're saying here is that the security, as far as technology wise, or let me correct that, the price performance for security technology has leveled out, which is to say you can no longer get more security at a reasonable price, right? Like you could always spend more and more on security and get closer and closer to better, but you're just going to spend more money than you have, right? right? Like, so basically at the moment, well, I shouldn't say at the moment, in this current model, it is impossible to spend more money on security and get it better. We're, we're tapped out, right? Well, so it, it, it's diminishing returns. Right, right, sure. Right, right, right. So what that yeah. means- You can always do better. What that means is that we no longer can rely on a better tool. So that means that that the tool will help us. Good things will happen. We've secured things. We forget <laughs> like how secure things are. But it also means that we have to live with a certain amount of bad things happening. So bad things will happen, right? Like, right. And then that means in the system that we have that essentially – you need to introduce a bunch of governance to control humans not doing bad things. But then also to your point, Matt Ray, what it ultimately means is you need to make sure you're not at fault when in the inevitable <laughs> bad things happen. And then that introduces a whole <laughs> because, other... Because you're not in a blameless organization. <laughs> oh, wait, that right. was right. Oh, and, oh, and, no. and then that introduces... Hey, email. Jeez, man. I mean, that introduces a whole level of... Like that... that it's, I mean, it's obviously not good. We don't aspire <laughs> to this situation, but that introduces a whole part of the model of this this uh, technological thing. I'm just saying a bunch of nonsense words where the focus now is on not so much the new innovative stuff and using the tools, but the focus is on minimizing the downside for the human actors involved in it, right. essentially, right. which we could call CYA. Well, but I think you I could think- another way to say it. Maybe not the CYA so much, but I think the state of thinking in security is probably summed up best by like the idea of zero trust, right? So, mm. so this That's is where yeah. we, the industry, I think, is generally acknowledged that like, hey, the problem before was we just believe, hey, we built a firewall. If you're behind this firewall, you're safe, and if you're not, you're not secure. And it's like, so that's maybe like you know, last decade, maybe even longer thinking. So now. I do think people have understood, have like sort of, you know, really do get the fact that like we need to be secure. We need to get to the point that we really have strict access to everything. And we think about zero trust is by default the way we think about it now. Okay. This is what good. is difficult. Right. And I think where we sit today is there, that concept is easily understood and there are probably thousands of products that attach themselves to like, see, see what I can do. I can help you with zero trust. But 
what happens is to really get there, it's like you're piecing together all the things you talked about. There's antivirus, there's code scanning, there's identity and access management, there's auditing, like, but it isn't like, you know, it's not really well understood. Like, you know, what is really the set of things in a portfolio I need to bring to the table that will really let me achieve zero trust. And I think this kind of comes back to these fundings, right? Like I think, uh, you know, container security, right? It's like a new technology. So let's secure that. So that kind of comes on the scene as another example, but this overarching idea of like, here's what I need to really do to get there is still not well understood. I would say no one has solved it versus, and you can contrast that with, you know, it's kind of, you know, Matt's world a little bit, you know, CICD and automation, right? Like, I think we have a pretty good understanding now of the tool chain and setting up these pipelines. And like, I think there is a measurement of like, you can kind of tell, are you fully automated? Like you can kind of like go and look and see like characteristics of an organization that is producing software in a fully automated way. Like you can see if they're doing it right. And if they're not, you can give them advice about how to do it. Right. Which is some culture and some tools. I think zero trust much harder. You can't really walk in and be like, are you really zero trust? Is everything zero trust? Right. Cause you don't, it's not really clear what that means. And it's also not clear that anyone knows all the different ways um, to measure that. But hopefully mm. with all these money flowing in and people working on it, people will kind of crack this, this problem, well, or maybe they just you, come up with a new a new thing, and there's like zero trust isn't the right way to think of it. Someone will come up with a new model, and that's what we should be doing. Yeah, I, I think it's it's probably more likely you're having uh, a new crop of people to take the security away from the previous generation of tools. I mean, not not to take the security away, but the budget away from the previous generation of tools. Um, and and it's almost like uh, you know any. And, you know, it's like monitoring, right? The new generation takes a, a portion away from the old generation with new capabilities, new features for problems that didn't exist. The old tools couldn't handle. But does the budget get larger? Is there more money in monitoring now than there used to be? Is there more money in security now than there used to be? Probably slightly growing. But, you know, the, the new is at the expense of the old. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think the thing, the part that the distinction I would draw here is I would say, like, hey, if you can look at DevOps and be like, the tools switched out, but you can really, I think you can look at that and be like, certain organizations deliver software much more efficiently than they used to. Like you can really point to some good examples that we talk about a lot, right? And I think the same thing with Agile. You could say Agile, for all its faults, has allowed us to you know, deliver software in a, a better way than customers used to get it. I think where we sit now with security is like, to Matt's point, I think you are going to have a lot of vendors switching out budget, but like, I don't think there's a thing we can point, point out and be like, we are much more secure now than we were, say, five years ago or 10 years ago. If anything, it's probably well, worse because it's more Docker. complicated, right? So, so that's what I think the part that is open. Like, I, I don't think it will be like this forever. Like, someone, like something will happen. Something will happen and there will be some model or something. Because it's just sort of like, you know, just like the industry just happens. Eventually, the industry settles on something that pushes it forward. And I don't think it's well, DevSecOps. I don't think it's that. I think it's like something that has yet to be named. And I don't know what it I, is. I, I, I mean, the naming is not, the naming will follow the incident, but I think the incident's already happened. I think some of these supply chain uh, attacks, um, that has spurred a lot of new development. Um, I mean, you know, Sneak and, and others, you know, that there, there have been a number of high profile attacks on how software is made that, you know, the Linux Foundation just made some announcement about you know signing uh, code. I mean, it there you know there will be 
there'll be money there. Yeah. Um, well, see, sure. see, see that maybe that that's another like uh, uh, thing, like like way I would think about it is is I don't know if any of this is true, but I feel like there's an era of security, the model, the way the way one thought about security, where it was all about like uh, uh, you know these hackers or criminals are are you know kind of like metaphorically or literally not literally but they're kind of trying to get in right so they're trying to find a way to get access into your system uh from the outside whereas like you know supply chain stuff is more like it's 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 like the hackers have shifted left they're more like (laughs) instead of instead of trying to get into the system let's just bake in the insecurity in the beginning Right. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is go back to when this, the software is being made and we're going to like, you know, remove the encryption from the mainframe then. Right. Whereas like I'm sure that that happened always that you would have your uh, I mean, you would call it a Trojan horse. But like that seems it doesn't seem to be like that was what people talked about so much way back when it was more like, you know, I'm going to try to get your password or I'm going to try to get this like mm-hmm. I'm going to break in. I'm not going to, you know create my own door in your your development right right i mean you know by by shifting left your attack surface is everything right right, instead of just a you know a handful of exposed end users it's now anyone who uses that software i think what you're hitting on and i think maybe let's we can speak a little bit more positively like what has changed here is like a couple things i guess what is it let's encrypt is that the site that makes it really easy to get new certificates Mm -hmm. make sure you keep expiring so that's out there now and then what you're referencing matt that uh, our friend over at the CNCF was talking about um, Chris talking about the Linux Foundation, so it serves up free code signing. So, like, so if we think about going forward, like maybe that becomes the default now. It's like every time you know you're implement, you know, adding code to anything, you're signing it, right? And um, you know, and hey, everything's using certificates because they're easier. So, like, maybe we're starting to see the beginnings of something like fundamentally change, right? Yeah. Like the idea that like, oh, it's crazy. You know, like think about it in a few years, like, oh, it's crazy. You're using code that wasn't signed, that doesn't have a clear audit log, that doesn't have a clear chain of ownership. Like, that's you know, that's unheard of, right? Like in the future, that may be the case, but today it's like, well, I don't, I don't know. Probably very few people sign code, at least like this. Yeah. Right? So, like, yeah. you're starting to see like. Maybe these are the things taking hold for the next version, right? Uh, or the next thing, whatever it's called. And you know, to to Matt's earlier point is like, this is maybe the set of vendors that are like, when you start pulling this together, they're the ones that maybe come up with a, the new way of thinking about security going forward. That that's that that, that uh, like having having a a free or super cheap signing certificate thing. That's interesting. It's like. I mean, I remember way back when, when I was still programming, like part of the build setup was always getting some bogus certificate so that like, you know, you could get your, uh, your SSL working and everyone would be like, oh yeah, this is just bogus. And you would just get that. And then even like, I'm remembering like, you know, more recently, like demos I've seen, there's always that step still of like, oh, we got to get this bogus thing. Right. Yeah. And so like, you know, insecure like, so the, for the source right. signed. And it's probably because back when we had to do it, it's probably because to get like a certificate, you had to file some paperwork and like pay it cost like thousands money, of dollars. Right? You had to like and, yeah, yeah, it, right, yeah, yeah. Whereas like if it if it was easy, to, this is going to sound stupid as I'm saying it, because it's so obvious. But like if it's cheap and easy to just do the secure thing, you don't need to have like the bogus stuff that you forget yep. about. And like so maybe maybe that would be like a big uh, sea change is that there's no like you just 
always do a thing that's secure because it's well, possible. Yeah, I, I, the advent of, of Let's Encrypt and you know, tools like SSL everywhere have made a sea change. You know, over the last five years or so, like there's very little, very little, there's a lot less HTTP traffic. And I'm sure we can dig yeah, up yeah. charts that show this, but that, that change has happened because it approached zero, you know, yeah. as, as the price point. So, um, you know, and the tools all reflected that, you know, the, the browsers all started, you know, complaining when you were going to a non-secure site. Yeah, so that's and, kind of a cultural uh, shift, like you're saying, right? Yeah, the so, default so there, browser, a, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There'll, there'll be a cultural shift to go with this technical shift. The question for security software is like, who's leading who? And the reason you raise $525 million or whatever is so you can go out and market and train, you know, and train your customers how to think about what the products are or to hire a boatload of essays and, and, you know, sales engineers to, to, <laughs> to do the work uh, because, you know, the enterprises are like, uh, just, you know, what's this zero, so, you know, what is the zero uh, trust? Why does it matter? Yeah, what's the like, zero trust? And you're like, can yeah. I just pay someone to do it? And like, yeah. yeah, and I think the thing that sits out there, I think, in security circles that you know is kind of often like made fun of, but I think it still ex um, sits out there as the holy grail. Is like, what is the moment or thing that ultimately kills off the password? Right? When is it just like? Um, when will it be crazy? When will people be like, I can't believe this site is still using passwords? It's kind of like we think of today. It's like, wow, like one point, like all the internet traffic was just clear text. It was just HTTP. You could just see everything. And it's like, that's crazy to think about now. And I think, you know, um, whether or not we're like a year away from that or a hundred years away from it, like that sits out there as probably the biggest cultural change yet to happen. It's like, nope. You just can't use a password. You have to use some type of biometric or certificate or, and everyone just has to learn it. Like the idea that yeah. like, Oh, I don't get computers. I don't like passwords. I don't want to do it. It's like, you know, at some point exactly. it, it shifts where like, no, <laughs> the culture doesn't accept that. Like to interact with the internet, you have to use this new authentication mechanism. And, you know, but again, like I said before, like I bring that up only because that's been, been discussed probably for like, I don't know, 20 years now, maybe longer. Um, yeah, and, you used to have those little fingerprint things on the ThinkPad. Right. And it's yeah, still, I was going to say, you used to have today, your smart right? card when you were working at Sun, right? Yeah. I mean, you had all that. I mean, yeah. you've seen, like, it's not like people haven't tried, but there's nothing has shifted the culture yet um, so that people are like, yep, that's exactly well, you, you, um, what you, we have. You need these, these, you know, these meteor strikes of security problems. Yeah. You know, no, I, I think are, you do. They're punctuated, think... you know, punctuated evolution of you know, hey, we need an exclamation point or else we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, no, I think it is. And Whoa. I think, you know, it does. We take, need an uh, exclamation point. Yeah, that's good. No, I'm with you. Well, I think that, it takes my, some my events. geology background kicking yeah. in. You know. let, let me. Oh, you missed our geography discussion earlier, Matt Ray. It oh, was sitting late. Don't worry well, about it. You didn't miss much. You can listen. You can listen back. You can listen back through it. If it makes it through what? the edit, you'll be able to hear it. Well, let, let, let's close out this topic. Let me throw out another like wacky idea. You know, it seems like at some point, uh, at some point, a lot of these security questions, like we're going to have to start thinking about how much of like uh, the problems need to be solved for public good. And therefore, it's kind of shady to charge for it. Right. Like in, in this, like because I, I was saying that because I was thinking like, I wonder what the commercial partnership relationship is between like Apple and Google with respect to like face ID and like biometric stuff, because really like. If you were like very altruistic and wanted to solve all the world's problems with computers, like you wouldn't want to make money off of that, 
and or have competitive differentiation like that would be something that you would want everywhere you've already seen it though like like zoom for example tried to make the free tier unencrypted and there was a big pushback on it i mean people are are just like you know you you can't do that anymore uh, yeah, that's just yeah, right, not, right, right. not socially acceptable. And, right. and it, so there's definitely it, tension between Apple and Google about tracking, you know, people and all right, but what's but not allowed. even not even tracking. It's sort of like, you know, it seems like Apple's face ID stuff is really good. So why don't they just have everyone use that for free? And then we got that. Right? Like like, you know, it's sort of like if there are good ways to like fix security problems. And security problems are like kind of a societal problem. Then, like at some point, you've got to be like, eh, you can't make a lot of money off of that because we all need to use it because the system as a whole will be better. Like, and and if passwords are truly like not the best that they could be, and it'd be better if you know your face could be your password, then like. I don't know. Like, no one charges when I use a meter. Yeah. Your, well, I think it's pretty much there. I think, password. you know, the algorithms, right? So, you know, obviously, Face ID for uh, an iPhone. You can do Face ID on a Windows laptop. You can do one on right Android. So so I think all of it's out there. I think it's – it's. I don't think there's any holdup. Um, like, the technology or the ha- know-how to do this doesn't exist. I don't think that's the issue at this point, right? Maybe – you know, Apple was yeah. first to market, but like everyone followed on like always. So now the question is just like, will we embrace it and just say, well, the only way to log on is to like use one of these. Um, and that's a cultural shift. That's not a. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah like, right. you know, they have they have the new thing where you can be wearing a face mask and use face ID. Right. Like, that would Same be an interesting thing, right? experiment here is to say, like, well, are they just going to give that over to the Android yeah. people to use, too? Well, like, or, or I use like uh, the Apple Watch. I, I I use it quite a bit to authenticate right into my my in this case my Mac uh, my Mac. Or you can also use it to like you know approve a transaction like on your Apple Pay. So I mean, there's a bunch of those ideas out there, and they're 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 there. But like the cultural shift is uh, like you can just imagine. Like I know in my, uh, in my house, like we went through a a, a password uh, uh, migration. I had to move everyone off LastPass because it was no longer free. And I was like, "All right, oh boy. we're all going to one password to families because it's like that's the one I like. And if we're going to pay, let's get everyone on it." And it was like, you know, it's it's painful, right? It's just, I mean, it's just like a corporate IT project. Got to get everyone. It's like the interface is different. Get everyone's passwords imported, and it's like it's yeah. it is it is a painful situation, so, right? Did and you, did you set up? Did you set up some Hive training to get them certified? I tried, but like, I, mean, I just think the abuse. Go you know, to Cloud. You know, you just always end up um, having to like defend it. Like you almost, I guess I shouldn't say defend. It's just like you have to just apologize for a whole industry, which is so frustrating. You're like, uh, it's like, I don't know. I don't know why it's all like yeah. this. I, yeah. I, I'm you, sorry you, the you UI already is have slightly... that though. Like, like as yeah. your family's IT. You know, you're constantly being like, "Yeah, computers suck." Let I know, but it's just like it's just 38 it, character password. Yeah, it's yeah. it is funny though. It's just, yeah, yeah it's go reboot thing. the router. I will yeah, say that, the that, uh, that. the new employees, the younger children, are the quickest to adopt. They're just like, oh, "Okay, oh, yeah. I think we're ready to go." Like that group is. Yeah. I'm I'm not worried about the. I don't. What do we call them? Millennials or whatever the Zoomers like. That group of people, they're all they're ready for IT. They they're all of them. I'm ready to promote them all to level one support. I'm like, you okay. you people are the best. They're, they're ready to to fix your grandparents the, the grandparents' iPads. <laughs> they can do yeah. everything. I mean, they are that 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 generation in technology, hundred percent prepared for the future. So good luck, Zoomers. Yeah, no, Matt Ray is hitting on something that I think is a is a will continue to be a multi decade long conversation and struggle with me and my family members is to get across the point that like yes 
computers are stupid. Like, <laughs> no need, no need to get upset about it. They're just annoying. But like, but but, just... but never say things like they only do what you want them to, what you told them to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No one wants to hear that. Yeah. You know, so and, you know, you uh, speaking of your face not being your ID. Do you think there must be people out there who purposely like? Like in in some kind of like multi-factor way, like they use a face ID, but they hold up some item in front of their face every time they use it. So that like even if they did have their face, it wouldn't work unless they had this other factor that changed what their face looks like when they're authenticated. Your face can be your ID. It can't be your password. I'm just I'm just saying that's fine. I'm that's sure fine. there's people doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But that would be fun. Like if if you carry like a fake face that you put yeah. on your real face, wear a hat. you've got to do yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's yeah. the enemy of the state, right? There was a Gene Hackman yeah. hat on all the time. Gonna, gonna yeah. get the Groucho Groucho Marx glasses. Yeah, there's there's uh, no doubt there's people you know trying not to do anything, right? You know, limit oh, inter- like any it. interaction. I, I think what you're saying, Matt Ray, is I need to go back to the training refresher course where the security people tell me the difference between a password and authorization and authentication and tailgating and factor (laughs) don't you do that training every year (laughs) sometimes twice or four times a year (laughs) it feels like (laughs) see that that is your security budget at work that's right and and you know what and 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 what 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 happens that every year they look can we get this cheaper and then you're like and then all the people who take it are like this is terrible. And then you're like, that's what happens with security. Like the, the, the money starts draining out of the expensive things and it goes to the new stuff. And then mm. every year people take this, you know, $20 a seat training. Next year it'll be $15. I'll tell you this though. Like, the people who are getting the definitively better are the people who write the, uh, the test phishing emails, you know, like in your corporation, oh, yeah. they send oh, you yeah, one. Like yeah. I think last Those year I good. fell for one and then I got like bounced back into the training and you're just like, I deserve this. I can't believe I did it. You know, like when you <laughs> click on it and they're like, this was a phishing email. You're like, I'm so stupid, but I'm like, some of those are like legit good, right? They are really good. I'm like, I have to give it up. I'll be like, yep, I definitely failed. I I just clicked on it. I, you know, I know better, but I still failed. So they've really gotten better. Congratulations to those people. You blame it on the mail tool. (laughs) I've, I, uh, yeah, this is a good reminder because I I think I recently took the annual, like, you know, security course. So I've got to be on the lookout because I'm sure they're going to send me some mail. Be very, very careful right now. Dear Cote, I need a million dollars signed (laughs) the president. Yeah. It's just like, you know, there's a PO that immediately needs your attention. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm remembering. I love it. I love it. The the best is when you take training that's so old that it reminds you of like playing Mist. Like it has the, <laughs> it has it has videos that are all like grainy. You know what it is? Dragon Slayer. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I'll tell you the, the the one. Um, I think inside of it, there's a there's a hidden opportunity for the people that write the phishing emails. There's some management consulting they're often doing because I won't name the corporation I was at, but like one place I was at. They did uh, uh, like a test phishing email was like, you're eligible for a new uh, Mac or PC refresh, right? Click mm-hmm. here to, to order it or something like that. And I think like half the company like kind of just failed on that one because everyone felt wait, like wait, their wait. computer is like too old, right? Like, so it's like culturally they're kind of identifying like a, like uh, an issue within your organization, whether it's true or not. Like, hey, a bunch of people feel like their hardware is too old. And they're very susceptible to this. So it's like you can almost package up like, see, here, like instead see? of an employee, it's like part of an employee survey. It's like, yeah. I think this shows that your 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 employees are really feel strongly that their equipment is not new enough. And but then, then they you also go back failed you your say, security thing. 
we spent the hardware refresh money on, on phishing emails. On, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be that would be the appropriate way that that ends. I agree. Okay, I want to pull together the package here. I think what you've revealed, Brandon, is that you could collapse together security checks with annual employee surveys. You just got to kind of finesse it a little bit. <laughs> I think you can. But I really do. Everyone, everyone failed the net promoter. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think you could absolutely do it. Right? I think I, I want to. Someone someone's probably already doing that company. So oh. congratulations to them. The, the P in NPS is net fishing. <laughs> hey. Well, well, uh, you know, not speaking of fishing because there's no segue. But, uh, you know, but we should get to our recommendation soon. But before we get to that, do we have any bureaucracy? We do. We got a little bit here. So everyone get comfortable. So one, I want to say I sent stickers to Marcel Jean Kringsman in the Netherlands. And so this week we're going to play... Does Cote know the province of uh, a specific city in the Netherlands? So, oh, no. Cote, I had to look it up. Evidently, Netherlands, like our friends in Canada, provinces, not states. So I'm going to do my best here on the, on the, the, the town. It's Gouda, G-O-U-D-A. I think it That's sounds Gouda. That's what we Gouda. say. The, the, uh, oh. I'm going to mispronounce it, but in, in, in Netherlands, you say Gouda. Oh, the G's and H? Whoa. Oh, man. See, I'm, I have a hard problems with the J, too. Uh, the J yeah, is a yeah, lie. Okay. It's it's one it, of those it's one of those, those sounds we don't have in English. It's the <laughs> okay. We don't howda. have that. All right. Well, my apologies to uh, all of uh, the Netherlands. That's okay. For, we for say Gouda. That's what everyone else says. It's fine. <laughs> well, I felt like, like even like, I was saying it's like it sounds well, like a cheese. It's probably not right, but all right. But nonetheless, Cote, can you tell us which province? I don't. I don't. I don't Gouda? know where. I don't. I don't know where Howda is. It's, okay. It's uh. I, I, you know, I know I'm in Nord Holland, so I don't know Howda's not that far, but this tiny country, so. It's probably not South Holland. It is. Congratulations, Cote. It is South Holland. You have gotten wow. correct. Well done. I, that, I is thought... because, that is because in this country, we don't have that North Territory bullshit. If there's a North Holland, there's going to be a South Holland. Well, I was going to say, interesting <laughs> enough, I looked at it. I was like, at first, I was like, wow, this is a lot easier. The Netherlands is going to be a lot easier. But I'm like, actually, you know what? They have the equal amount. Of, like The number of states to provinces, even though the landmass is quite different. And I was like, it's actually reasonably the same. So, uh, Cote. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations! And so I well, just want to thank uh, I want to thank uh, Marcel. Uh, this for is why he, the, the, Nether- the Netherlands people get all upset when you call them Holland. They're like, uh, it'd be uh, like I know, be, I didn't do that. I never did that. Right? It'd be I did like not. Calling also, the United States, New York. Uh, Marcel, he wanted a sticker, so I did uh, send it to him, and I did when I addressed it. I said the Netherlands at the end, right? Because that oh, like that's very yeah. important too. So, so I and he was the one that uh, sent in the funny YouTube video about. Um, English, uh, p- the people, uh, the British <laughs> discovering all kinds of places. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah. It was perfect. So Catch that was good. It's very good. So we do have one other piece of feedback here from Tasty Meats Paul. He says, quote, I feel like B. Witcher was getting dangerously close to gatekeeping the whole, is CSS a programming language thing? Well, maybe not what you would expect from a traditional programming language. HTML plus CSS is Turing complete, which IIRC classifies classes it as a programming language. So I think that's settled. I, I did not realize that and I did not realize it was Turing complete. So I think there it is. It is a, a, uh, just, just a programming language. Just because you could doesn't mean you should. <laughs> right. But then uh, someone else, Sean from the Slack, he posted, uh, I, I'm going to call it like the definitive app that, that, that proves this. It's uh, Pickle Rick, which is written in HTML, CSS. So if you want to check that out, you can click on the link and it's like, yeah, I think it's a full-fledged application. So why not? And then we got a little feedback 
from Rachel uh, Stevens over at uh, Red Monk. She uh, enjoyed that. And so she's going to, you know, take our, our feedback into uh, account. But I said, hey, I think it's settled. You know, you can read this note. But then it got me thinking, what is another programming language that we don't think is a programming language? And for those of you who have not keeping up, Excel is now Turing complete. So I think that maybe means Excel is the number one programming language in the world. I don't know. Is that, a, is that too far a stretch? <laughs> is, that, uh, is that where that ends? I think that, that that raises the same kind of hackles as, as HTML. There are a lot of uses of users of Excel who never touch the programming aspects. Agreed. I think you know that is maybe going to go into next year's Redmux survey. Maybe that's what they have to figure out. Is like, are you using? Are you whatever you consider to be a program? Are you making that in CSS or Excel? But I will say, when I thought about it, I have done a lot of budget. I've been sent a lot of spreadsheets for budgeting and for pricing that are like full-blown applications in Excel. Like you go through, they're like configurators. So I was like, yeah, I see this quite a bit. So sure. So anyway, that's all the feedback. And of course, if you want stickers, all you have to do is send your postal address to me at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, I bet maybe Old El Paso could be like the most sold salsa globally but that doesn't make <laughs> mm-hmm. it the number one salsa oh yeah yeah no this whenever never confuse popularity with quality thankfully they don't have old el paso here so i don't have to confront that oh, they have it here <laughs> yeah yeah as, as my my favorite joke is as uh, as robert robert brooke put it once when i showed this to him he said oh yellow nature's warning sign <laughs> yes <laughs> anyhow uh well there's there's a uh, uh we have, we have Spring One platform coming up September 1st and 2nd. You should submit a talk to it. The CFP is open until the 9th. I approve talks for a bunch of meatware stuff. Be great. Just submit a talk there. But with that, Matt Ray, what's your recommendation for this week? Uh, so so one aspect of my sabbatical that is going well is uh, my, my reading. I finally finished uh, William Gibson's um, book two of the Jackpot Trilogy, Agency. Uh, I loved it. I, I liked it a lot better than the first one. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a big William Gibson fan. The first one kind of had fits and starts. And the second one, because agency had already been set up and you were aware of this you know, world that, that he had built, uh, it moved really fast and uh, highly, highly enjoyed it. And somehow he uh, excels in having like five page chapters. So they're like 200 chapters or something ridiculous. But um, anyway, uh, very good book. I'm not going to spoil anything about it if you haven't read uh you know uh peripheral book one um it's required reading for this one but uh uh if you're any sort of fan of william gibson i think this is uh, some of his best stuff in years hmm. i need to read a summary of that first book and i think i'd enjoy reading it more i got bogged down in some sort of trans yeah yeah it, it was it was dense but then there were things that just like popped out and then you know agency hmm. just goes fast Sounds good. Five five page chapters. Love it. How about yourself, Brandon? Yeah, I'm going for something. I think it's making its way around uh, the internet with a lot of recommendations. But I uh, sat down and watched WandaVision. I am not somebody that's a huge Marvel fan. I mean, certainly seen a lot of the movies. But um, I really thought WandaVision was very creative, really interesting. Uh, I, I watched it kind of more in the binge mode. So I, all the episodes were out, which I think is probably a more enjoyable way to see it, be able to watch it. <laughs> Watch it as much as you want. So uh, one we dragged it out. Very, yeah. um, I thought it was very unique. I had not seen something quite like that. So maybe one of my, I don't I even go so far as to say like one of my more um, 
favorite, I guess one of the more favorite things I've seen from uh, Marvel myself. So if you're not maybe huge into Marvel, give WandaVision a, a try. And if you're, already love Marvel, then, you know, you've probably already seen it. So check it out, WandaVision. Yeah, I saw all that. It was good. <laughs> I endorse it. Well, you know, while you're while you're reading your, your book or you're watching WandaVision, I want to recommend this week something called Werther's Originals. Now, I came across these not because I'm an old man full with hard candy in my pockets, but I don't know, you know, I would have never thought this, but Kim bought me a whole packet of them. <laughs> I see Matt Ray has some. Kim bought me a whole packet of them for Christmas. Hopefully it wasn't. Anyways, and and uh, man, they're so delightful. I never think yes. to eat Werther's Originals until I have them. But And check this out. I don't, know what, I don't know how they're doing over there in Australia, but here in the Netherlands, they put them in individually wrapped yeah, yeah. things. Like yeah, I feel like my, that, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, how it... That's not how it used to be. They used to be oh. like, you know, you'd have to like pry them apart. It, and, it's because of the, COVID. Uh, yeah, <laughs> makes sense. But yeah, they're just so good. They're like they're they're like the perfect mixture of availability and uh, like size. But then also like because they're so hard, it takes a long time to eat them, unless you want to destroy your teeth. Um, and and you don't feel like you're gonna eat like a dozen of them. Yeah, I guess it being candy, you according to Dennis, you're going to destroy your teeth either way. It's just the speed at which the destruction mm. is going to happen. And, Good choice. Uh, I'm eating one now. So get some of those. I'm sure you can order them from uh, stores. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 289. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. She says she needs this in 10 minutes. I got to go. Uh, I guess uh, I'll be back. I'll be back in about half an hour. So Sounds you, you good. Uh, um, have a good podcast. I'll be back. <laughs> you should just leave the camera on. <laughs>